Hello, and thank you for tuning in to the Encouragement Expert Podcast. We're glad you're joining us today. Let's join Pastor Wes Doffenbaugh as he gives an encouraging word titled, Faith Boosters for the Perfect Storm. Praise the Lord. It's a delight to be with each of you today. I love you. God bless you in Jesus' name. I have what I believe is a real important message, and it's called Faith Boosters for the Perfect Storm. I'd like us to say a prayer together. Father, we want the Holy Spirit to speak to us, and we ask you to protect us from the devil trying to get our mind off on the wrong thing. We want to think Jesus-style thoughts Uh, so that as we go into the future, we can bring you massive glory. Would you surround us now with your warrior angels and put uh, ministering angels by each of us to help us receive and retain your word? Holy Spirit, coach us in the application from here on out for the glory of Jesus Christ. We ask it in his wonderful name. Amen. Well, the message is called Faith Boosters for the Perfect Storm. Now, I got out my... spiritual leadership book, the one called Good and Faithful Servant, A Trumpet Call to Return to Spiritual Leadership. And I was looking at the virtue list. It took me years to make that virtue list, but the 101st virtue out of 119 is foresight. And the definition of foresight is perceive the future in order to prevent disaster and to take advantage of opportunities. Well, that's basically what this message is about. It's about getting foresight and then faith so that we can preempt disasters and take advantages of opportunities. Recently, I read the entire book called The Crash Course, and I recommend that you order that book and read it. The author uh, doesn't write from a Christian perspective, um, so he's not quoting scriptures. What he does is he writes in very easy-to-understand language and explains why three great world crises are converging into a perfect storm. And these crises are coming in the economy, energy, and environment. Three E's, energy, economy, and environment. Now, his message is sobering, and that is that massive changes are coming, and there isn't much time left to prepare. The next two decades will not be like the last two decades. Great changes are coming. Uh, First of all, on August 22nd of this year, the BRICS currency is scheduled to launch. That's a new world currency from the nations of Brazil, Russia, India, China, and Saudi Arabia. These nations will not buy or sell oil using the U.S. dollars as in the past. So for the last 75 years, the U.S. dollar has been the reserve currency of the world. That meant anytime people bought or sold oil, they had to use U.S. dollars. That is ending. And many nations are going to quit using the dollar and switch to this new currency, which will actually be backed by gold. Our, our currency is backed by nothing. Now, the result will be a sudden and big devaluation of the dollar. I don't know if it'll all happen fast on August 22nd, but the dollar could lose very quickly one-third of its value almost overnight. And to me, it appears that hyperinflation is going to come at some point, and that fairly soon. When Russia attacked Ukraine... The United States and Europe put heavy sanctions on Russia and limited 
Russia's central bank's ability to use dollars and euros. Rather than hurt the Russians, this has turned out to hurt the U.S. because uh, Russia and many other nations now are, 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 have stopped. They're, they're going to quit using the dollar so that our, our nation cannot put economic sanctions on any nation that uses that BRICS currency. <clears throat> Most nations don't like the bully attitude of the United States in their sanctions. Now, nation after nation has hit what's called peak oil, and that means they can't produce larger quantities than in the past. Most notably among these nations is Saudi Arabia. And on July 20th of 2022, they announced this, quote, the kingdom will do its part in this regard as it announced an increase in its production capacity to 13 million barrels per day, after which the kingdom will not have any additional capacity to increase production. That's quoted on page 45, 145 of the Crash Course. And the author, Chris Martinson, writes this, <clears throat> As profound as this was, Saudi Arabia was hardly the first to announce that it was at peak oil. In April of 2021, Russia's energy ministry announced that it was, quote, most likely that Russia's oil production would never again hit the levels of output seen in 2019. And this means that the number two and the number three producers of oil in the whole world have said the unthinkable, <laughs> that peak oil is real and that it is upon us. Now, oil is a one-and-done resource, and once it's used up, it'll be gone forever. Worldwide demand keeps going up while supplies of oil have reached their peak or the production peak. There's still oil left in the ground, but it's harder to get to, much more expensive to get out, <clears throat> and uh, production capacities just can't uh, go up any, any higher. So... Uh, Oil is the very lifeblood of the whole world economy. And, of course, it, it greatly impacts our, all of our food because of tractors and farms using fossil fuels and all the trucks that bring our food. Well, the massive energy stored in fossil fuels has brought the greatest prosperity the world's ever known. And it's all been in the last 150 years, but it's... it's it's like it's a chapter coming to a close. Our whole modern life is based around it. I believe we should be changing our cars to run on liquefied natural gas because there would probably be a supply of that for a few more decades. Instead, our government is pushing electric cars, but 60% of our electricity is generated by fossil fuels like coal and natural gas. And with the government trying to shut down coal electrification plants to save the environment from global warming, it doesn't take a genius to see that we're headed for a massive energy crisis. The price for gasoline and electricity will keep climbing to ever more shocking highs. And that's not even factoring in the inflation that could come just from uh, wrong decisions in the, of the Federal Reserve or printing money and all that stuff. What's going to happen then is the very high food prices and uh, also food shortages. Our environment is in trouble with or without global warming. A lot of the world's food comes from uh, land that's irrigated by underground lakes, which are called aquifers. Uh, 
And these underfound, underground lakes took thousands of years to fill, but they're being rapidly pumped dry. And when that water runs out, then vast amounts of land will go back to what it was before it was irrigated. Here's a quote. The most important sources of water for most cities and agriculture lie in aquifers hidden deep beneath the ground, which means that it's difficult for most people to readily appreciate the true state of things down there. That's a quote from that book, The Crash Course. Now, it would take thousands of years for these aquifers to refill naturally. The massive Ogallala aquifer lies under eight western states, and get this, it supplies 21 million acre-feet of water for irrigation every year. And the croplands on top of the Ogallala are responsible for fully one-sixth of the entire world's grain production. Ancient aquifers all over the globe are being pumped at unsustainable rates and will therefore someday fail to provide sufficient water to the local population. That means the world is headed for massive water crises and massive food crises. Meanwhile, world population keeps growing while usable farmland is lost through building cities over the flattest farmland and also uh, unsustainable farming practices that turn soil into lifeless dirt. Now, since modern farming depends on fertilizer and fertilizers are trucked using gasoline, the abundant and cheap food that we've been used to is going to go the way of cheap energy. Cheap food and cheap energy will soon be disappearing in the back window as we drive on, so to speak. Another problem is our government allows seed companies to use a form of seed that is covered in poison enough for one seed to kill a sparrow. And when a caterpillar takes a bite of a plant that grows from that seed, it, it dies. And that seems good for farming, but what's happening is killing off bees and butterflies that pollinate our crops and basically devastating all insects which are the base of the food chain. These terrible pesticides are called neonics. And there's a strong evidence that these compounds are directly responsible for a massive insect apocalypse. Now, that's just a few of the problems discussed in a frank way in this book, The Crash Course. I believe interested people should read it. So, just to sum up, in the economy, in energy and environment, big, 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 massive problems are coming, and they're coming all over the world, and they're coming at the same time. Now, I have, now we're going to talk about faith. <laughs> all right, number one, what are we going to do about it? What are people of faith going to do? Well, first, we're going to face the problems. Regarding Abraham, the Bible says, without weakening in his faith, he faced the fact that his body was as good as dead since he was about 100 years old and that Sarah's womb was also dead. Yet, he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. Well, he had promised, you know, that uh, Abraham would have an heir from his own body, and that was the child Isaac. I just quoted Romans chapter 4, 19 through 21. <clears throat> so Abraham saw the problems, he faced them, and then he turned his face to God and believed for a miracle 
that promised child and heir. Now, some people say, don't worry, everything is going to be okay. But this is a Disney movie type of false piece called Hakuna Matata. You remember the Lion King? Uh, well, that's a problem-free philosophy. <laughs> but this philosophy of how to avoid worry is to act as if no problems exist and no problems are coming. So it's a false peace based on ignorance. And it has no fear until, but when the until comes, it panics and suffers the consequences of unpreparedness. Here's an important Bible verse, Proverbs 22.3, the prudent, which is a form of wisdom, the prudent see danger and take refuge, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty. Now, we need to see the dangers ahead, and this does not mean that we're fearful or negative. It just means, like Abraham, that we have to face what looks impossible, looks impossible to people, while we remember that with God all things are possible, and all things are possible to him who believes. I quoted two scriptures there from Matthew and Mark. My second point is, after we face the problems, we must turn our face to God. We must look to God. Now, the Apostle Paul wrote, So we fix our eyes on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. And the Bible says that Moses persevered because he saw him who is invisible. Now, I'm going to give you a reminder. Those, some of you may have heard me teach this before, but worship and worry have the same five steps. So, when we worship, we, number one, we look to the Lord. Number two, we magnify the Lord. That means we boast about him. We talk about him, how great he is, all the miracle he does. We praise him. Number three, our expectations flow from the Lord. And then number four, we come under the Lord's dominion and serve him as a slave of righteousness. And then number five, we become like the Lord, which means we become victorious over circumstances. Now, worry has the same five steps, except worry looks at a problem. And then worry magnifies that problem above all else, above God, above everything. And then the worrier expects only from the problem, but not from God. That means the worrier comes under the dominion of the problem and serves it as a slave of fear. And then that person that worries becomes a problem. So when Moses sent 12 spies into Canaan, 10 of them became worriers, and only two became worshipers. 10 of them saw the giants in the walled cities, and then they began to magnify the problem instead of God. And so their expectations flowed from the problems, and they began to serve those problems in fear. And worst of all, they became a problem because when they gave their negative report, they shot the whole community with fear that turned into rebellion. And that's when God had had it and said, I'm, I'm going to take your children into the promised land, but the rest of you, you're going to die here in the next 40 years. I'm going to take you around and around this mountain till you all die off. And that's what happened to everybody over 20 years of age except Caleb and Joshua. And they were the two spies that, that said, uh, don't be afraid of the people of the land because we will devour them. Their protection is gone, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. 
Now, Caleb and Joshua magnified the Lord, and their expectations were flowing from God. You see, if, you are, if, if we look at the trends and the convergence of, of great worldwide problems without factoring in God, then we're going to join the ranks of the worriers. So let's face, let's turn our face to God and factor God in. Let's remember that God cared for a whole nation of over one million people in the wilderness for 40 years, and the Bible says their clothing didn't wear out, their shoes didn't wear out. Perfect health food fell from the sky for decades. That was called manna. God even made water flow out of hard rock, and it wasn't a trickle, but it was rivers. The Bible says in Psalm 78, he made streams come out of the rock and caused water to flow down like rivers. Now, God has ways to care for everyone who depends upon him, miracle power and miracle wisdom. You see, the world in general quit trusting and believing in God. And now without God's help, their pride will be humbled. You see, we need Almighty God. I found a verse in Isaiah, uh, it's chapter two, verse 17, and it just puts it in a, in a, in a nutshell. I think I have it here at the back of my notes. Uh, but it says that the, the, the man's pride is going to be humbled and, and the haughtiness of man will be brought low. But the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Now that verse, Isaiah 2.17, really describes what we're going into. The pride of mankind where they're independent from God, they're going to have so many huge problems that they cannot solve and be in such a difficult position that their pride is going to be humbled. But the Bible says the Lord alone will be exalted in that day. Now he'll be exalted by taking care of his people. He'll be exalted through miracle healings and, 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 and miracle provisions and angelic intervention and all those kind of ways. So we just need to be on God's side, <laughs> love him and walk with him, and, and he'll be exalted in our lives or, and, and through us. Now, my third point is we must take responsibility as far as it will go and then believe for miracles. God doesn't do miracles for lazy, unprepared people. Now, that's a mouthful right there. He requires us to do what we can do. But when we've done all we can, and have taken our responsibility as far as it will go, that's when he steps in and carries us onward with miracles. You'll remember that when the Israelites crossed the Jordan River, then the next day the manna stopped flowing from heaven because they couldn't get any food in the desert. But once they crossed the Jordan River, there was food in the natural way. And so then the miracles didn't flow anymore. They had to be responsible and and uh, provide food in the natural way. But when they were in a place where there wasn't any way to plant or irrigate or cultivate crops in the barren desert, then God had done what they couldn't do, and he did it daily for 40 years. Now, we could look ahead and, and we could think, well, no matter what I do, it's not going to be enough. These problems are going to be too big. But we need to add something to that and say, I'll do everything I can to provide for myself and my family. And when it gets to the point that it's beyond anything I can do in a responsible way, that's when God is going to step in with miracles. And that, that is absolutely true. Now, one time I spoke at a church in San Francisco, and I met people who had gone to Africa, and they had uh, presented toys to needy children. Now, they brought on their trip, they brought 200 toys, but 600 children showed up. 
And uh, they gave out all the toys, and then they knew how heartbroken these kids were going to be hoping to receive a toy. And so they were just crying out to God, and one man reached into an empty box that had already been unloaded. There was some packing paper in it. He reached in in case he could find one more toy, and he did find a toy, and he pulled it out, so he reached in again, and he pulled out another one. He kept reaching in until he pulled out 400 toys out of an empty box. That's the true story, and God multiplied the toys, but God wouldn't have multiplied them if the people had uh, been irresponsible. You see, they took it as far as they know how to take it, and then God picked it up from there. I have a similar story. I went on a medical missions trip with people from Albemarle, North Carolina, and at the end of the trip, the doctor in charge told me that the children had brought so many adults with them to the free clinics we conducted that all the medicine was used up and we had to use most of our food and lodging money to buy more medicine. So there wasn't enough cash left in the expense envelope to pay our hotel and food bills. And this doctor asked me to pray that God would multiply the money in that envelope so that the bills could be paid. I had told him some miracle stories and he believed them. Well, then I, uh, I realized this doctor and his team had been as responsible as they could because they'd brought big, great, big old suitcases full of medicine, everything they could possibly bring on the planes. And I reminded God of that and then I asked God to pay the expenses for food and lodging for our entire team out of that envelope. Now God heard that prayer and multiplied that money. The doctor did pay all the bills from that envelope and there were funds left over. Before he got on the airplane to return, he uh, tried to give what was left in the envelope to the native pastor and his wife that were in charge there. And uh, he'd give that, his pastor's wife some money, but then there was more money in the envelope. So he'd uh, take it out and give it to her and he'd look in there and there was more money in there. So he kept pulling money out of that envelope until the pastor's wife had a wad of money too big to fit into her purse. So see, I've, miracles are, they happen. And, and I could take more time just to go over different stories in the Bible. Jesus multiplied the loaves and fish, but some little boy had been responsible and brought extra big lunch and had some left over that Jesus could use. So, you know, I'm going to do some things in the natural. I want to check out all uh, national and state of Oregon programs to help people put solar panels on their homes. Our, our house uh, has a lot of roof space with a southern exposure which is all in the back of the house because it faces north, Uh, solar panels would not even be seen from the street. You know, I'd like to protect my family and have electricity even if there were brownouts and blackouts. And I believe the electrical grid is going to become more and more unreliable and extremely expensive. So we could all do something in that area, maybe add a solar panel or more insulation or something. But be praying about what you can do to conserve energy, all right? And uh, what, what can you do to keep your electric bill lower? Now, if the power was out, do you have something like batteries that could recharge your cell phones? Do you have batteries for lighting? Do you have extra blankets or sleeping bags uh, to keep you warm and alive if the power went out in the winter? So we need to prepare as best we can And then factor God in, that God picks up when we can't take it any farther. Now, my fourth point is preparing is a lot better than worrying. The Bible tells us about a wise 
wife and mother who prepared. In Proverbs 31, it says, When it snows, she has no fear for her household. All of them are clothed in scarlet. Now remember, wisdom is not an enemy of faith. This wise woman prepared warm winter clothing for her family so that when it did get cold and snowy, she had no fear. She knew they'd keep warm through what she prepared. Most of us do not have a clue as how to be prepared for food and fuel shortages, for electrical blackouts, or for natural disasters. But there are a lot of books on the subject, and there are whole groups of what we call preppers who've been practicing and preparing for days of crises. We can learn from them. They can teach us. And there are most likely knowledgeable preppers near you that could help mentor you in this area. Now, if we do nothing to prepare, then we're assuming that God will do miracles for the unprepared, for those who did not do all they could do in a responsible way. And I believe that's a false assumption because the Bible says the prudent see danger and take refuge, or we could say the prudent see danger and make preparation, but the simple keep going and pay the penalty, Proverbs 22, 3. The New Living Translation says a prudent person sees danger and takes precautions. The simpleton goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. Fuel shortages, water shortages, and food shortages won't happen all at once unless there's some massive earthquake or hurricane type of disaster. So we have some time to prepare. We just don't know how much time. And there might be very little time to protect savings that are denominated in the U.S. dollar. Very little time. It's up to each of us to ask God what being prudent looks like to him and how we can apply that. It would be wonderful if, like the good wife and mother of Proverbs 31, we could say about ourselves, she or he is clothed with strength and dignity. She or he can laugh at the days to come. Well, it would be a good idea to have a whole supply of hand tools that aren't power tools. You know, if the power went out and you needed to open a can of food and all you had was an electric can opener, <laughs> you'd feel pretty stupid. And just a simple old-fashioned can opener would be a real prize. All right. Now, my fifth point, <clears throat> be sure to have big, strong, and deep spiritual roots. Uh, Jeremiah 17, 5 through 8 says this, and God is speaking. This is what the Lord says. Cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh, and whose heart turns away from the Lord. That person will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. But blessed is the one who trusts in the Lord, whose confidence is in him. They will be like a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots by the stream. It does not fear when heat comes. Its leaves are always green. It has no worries in the year of drought and never fails to bear fruit. All right, now that's what we want to be like, a tree planted by the water that sends out its roots. Natural roots go seeking water, but spiritual roots go seeking God. And each way that you seek after God is one of your roots. Now, reading the Bible daily, that's a root, or a root, depending on how you pronounce it. If you spend a lot of time reading the Bible, then you'll have a big, deep, and healthy spiritual root. Uh, God's stream never goes dry. 
Uh, so if you spend time in prayer each day, that's another spiritual root. Uh, going to church regularly to worship with other believers is a spiritual root. Reading the best Christian books, listening to their uh, the best spiritual recordings or best spiritual videos on the internet that inspire faith, all of those are spiritual roots. But remember that Jesus told the parable of the seed, that the sower, and some of the seed fell on rocky ground and sprouted, but when the sun came out, it withered because it had no roots. And Jesus explained that that was, represented the person who had no root in themselves. Now that's describing as what I call a spoon-fed Christian who only goes to church occasionally and hasn't learned to feed themselves. They go to church and get spoon-fed like a little baby, but they haven't learned to get in the Bible and seek God on their own. And so they don't have roots. And uh, when terrible crises comes, they won't be like a tree planted by the stream of water that sends out its roots by the stream. But spiritual people are like spiritual trees and have no worries in the year of drought. Now, why don't they worry? Because they meet with God on a regular basis. They get their eyes on God. They magnify God. Their faith grows, and they trust in the Lord. Now, listen carefully. There's a great danger in having shallow spiritual roots as we head into ever more dangerous and trying times. But listen carefully, the famines, the wars, the shortages, the pestilences are not the greatest dangers. The greatest danger would be going through those things without deep spiritual roots. <laughs> now Isaiah wrote, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he's near, Isaiah 55, 6. So no, you don't want to wait till the day of disaster to start praying. You want to start your prayer life seeking God and spending time with him right now. Reproof is God's verbal correction, and God wants us to turn it his reproof, his verbal correction. If we don't turn it his reproof, then God rebukes us, and a rebuke is a spanking or worse. <laughs> so I want to read from Proverbs chapter 1. It says uh, in verse 23, Turn up my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit to you. I will make my words known to you. Well, what a wonderful thing. That would fix everything wrong with you and give you faith and guidance and power and healing and everything you need. But in verse 24, it says, because I called, God is talking, because I called and you refused to listen, <coughs> have stretched out my hand and no one has heeded, because you have ignored all my counsel and would have none of my reproof, I also will laugh at your calamity. I will mock when terror strikes you, when terror strikes you like a storm and your calamity comes like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come upon you. Then they'll call upon me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but will not find me. Because they hated knowledge and did not choose the fear of the Lord, would have none of my counsel and despised all my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their way and have their fill of their own devices. Another translation says they'll be satiated with the fruit of their own way. That means filled to vomiting. For the simple are killed by their turning away, and the complacency of fools destroys them. But whoever listens to me will dwell secure and be at ease without dread of disaster. Now, when it says the simple are killed by their turning away, other translation says uh, waywardness instead of turning away. Now, what waywardness does is it wanders off from the Lord. It turns away and wanders off from the Lord. But complacency, 
stands still when the Lord moves on. And both waywardness and complacency create a big gap between the person and the Lord. And so the NIV says, for the waywardness of the simple will kill them and the complacency of fools will destroy them. Now notice, please notice, that it's not the crisis that wipes people out. It's not the crisis that wipes people out. It's having a big gap between them and the Lord. So hyperinflation, energy, food shortages won't destroy anyone. Uh, what really destroys people is when through waywardness and complacency, a big gap grows between them and the Lord. All right, then they can't operate in faith. It's, it's, just, it's just the angelic protection isn't the same. In 2008, I received a prophetic vision and prophecy through a man I trust as a, quote, seer, unquote, which means prophetic that sees visions. Now, in his vision and prophet, prophetic word to me, Jesus said, see, the sky is growing dark. Hold my hand. Do not stray more than an arm's length from me. Now, take note. Straying from God is the danger not the storm, All right? The storm is a danger if you stray from God, but you get the point here. All right, that's why I continue to go to bed usually between eight and nine so I can wake up after eight hours of sleep and uh, approximately by 5 a.m. and have three good hours of time with the Lord. See, I've got my roots down. I wanna keep my roots down. And I hope you'll get serious about spiritual roots. Now, my sixth point is make noble plans. This is a key verse in the Bible, Isaiah 32, 8. But the noble make noble plans, and by noble deeds, they stand. So we need to make preparations, uh, but preparations for water purification, food storage, non-power tools, and the like are not noble plans unless... Those plans include how to help other people. We can't just hoard food and, you know, be thinking about how we're going to survive. No, we've got to be thinking how to help others. Now, noble plans are when we plan what we are going to do to help people, to win people, and disciple people. And then as we do these good deeds of righteousness, God will help us stand. Uh, listen to me. I hope you'll uh, understand this. Beware of focusing on what is the devil going to do next, see? And beware of anything that I would call a prediction addiction. There are many people on the internet who want to be prophets, and they're always trying to predict what will happen next, even if there's no practical application or no reason or need to know those things. But the what's going to happen next can turn to worry or prediction addiction. But see, the question should be, what are you going to do next? That's what's really important. What are you going to do next? What's your noble plan? What's your plan to help people? What's your plan to win souls? What's your plan to proclaim Christ? What's your plan to make Christ-like disciples? What's your plan to bring God massive glory? <laughs> now, when we know what we are going to do, then we have a vision and we're going to it, which enables us to get through it. The Bible says about Jesus, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross, despising its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God, Hebrews chapter 12. All right, so Jesus had a vision set before him. He could get through it because he was going to it. 
And when you make a noble plan to help people, then the doing of that causes you to stand even in terrible times. See, the Bible says, by noble deeds he stands. So I don't spend much time thinking about what the devil is going to do next. I'm thinking about what I'm going to do next. (laughs) I don't think too much about what's going to happen next, although I do want to be aware and prudent. But what I'm very keen on is what I'm going to do next to bring glory to God, to win the lost, to encourage people, to disciple people. Because we're not going to, quote, stand, unquote, just by knowing what the devil's going to do or even by knowing what God is going to do or by knowing what God is going to allow to happen. We stand by doing noble deeds. So the big question is, what are you going to do next? Now, my seventh point, and I have more points than seven this time. I've got nine. Seventh point is shop for God and get the prayer bonus. Solomon was anointed king over Israel, and God came to him in a dream and asked him, ask, he said, God said, ask for whatever you want me to give you. And Solomon answered, "Uh, give your servant a wise and discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. Now, the Bible says the Lord was pleased that Solomon asked for this, so God said, since you've asked for this and not for long life or wealth for yourself, nor have asked for the death of your enemies, but for discernment in administering justice, I will do what you have asked. I'll give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will never, so that there will never have been anyone like you, nor ever will be. Moreover, I will give you what you've not asked for, both wealth and honor, so that in your lifetime you'll have no equal among kings. And if you walk in obedience to me and keep my decrees and commands as David your father did, I'll give you a long life. Now, one time I was making a sermon about this and I wrote the extra things God gave to Solomon that he hadn't asked for were exceptional. And immediately I felt a strong check in my spirit from God. And God made me to know that these bonus items that came from an unselfish prayer for the benefit of others And for God's glory, these huge bonus items were not an exception to the rule, but were rather the rule. So when we do what I call shopping for God, it's as if we have a grocery cart. I call it the prayer cart. And we put in prayers that benefit other people, from individuals to whole nations, classes of people, groups of people. The point is, we're praying unselfishly for others and for things we believe God wants to happen, like the Lord's Prayer, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we just don't say, well, do whatever you want. We should find out what God wants and then pray it into effect. Now, as we walk closely with God, it's as if God gives us a grocery list of things he wants. We live on earth. We have dominion on the earth. So it's vital that we invite God, invite God's intervention via prayer. We ask God to do the things God wants to do, but we got to invite him in to do them. Now, we pray God's will into effect. And while we're praying unselfishly for others, perhaps we're, uh, you know, completely unaware that God is going to give us these bonus items that we didn't ask for. Jesus said, first seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things 
will be added to you, Matthew 6.33. Now, the things that they were talking about was, what shall we eat or what shall we drink? And we could say, how shall we get water? How will we be able to, you know, and we could go on. Well, the point is, when we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, that means we we want to pray his will into effect in the world and we're being unselfish. We shop for God in prayer and then then God's going to add things to us, give us bonus items, just like uh, Solomon prayed unselfishly for the benefit of the people and then was made great fame and tremendous riches so that he had no equal during his lifetime. Now, God wants to add bonus items to us. So if we forget to pray for ourselves, just it's very important to pray unselfish prayers for other people. It's a really big deal because that guarantees God will add to you what you need even if he has to make food fall out of the sky or make water come out of a rock. Now, Paul wrote this, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. That's Ephesians 6.18. Now, Jesus said in Luke 21.36, be always on the watch and pray that you may be able to escape all that is about to happen and that you may be able to stand before the Son of Man. Well, let's get our prayer life really going and then let's make sure that it's unselfish. My eighth point, remember what the anointing can do. Now, the law of thermodynamics says that there's only so much energy in our world and we cannot create any new energy. We can only move what is already here into another form We can neither destroy nor create more energy. What's here is here, and it can be changed into other forms, but no new energy is ever added. However, when God's anointing comes, that is power from outside this universe, outside this whole cosmos and creation. This means that from the first release of Holy Spirit anointing, that anointing does not know any natural boundaries or natural laws. It's supernatural energy. It can make things appear. It can make things disappear and not in some magic trick. It can multiply five loaves and two fish to feed 5,000 men plus all the women and children. It can enable a man to walk on water. It can create new parts or organs for a body that needs repairs. Now, the world and the billionaires of this world cannot buy anointing from God. They're stuck in the natural with what their money can buy, but their money can't buy any new energy. So that means their money cannot do the impossible. But God has, but all God has to do is add some energy from his throne into your situation and impossible things are made possible. And this is why... The Bible says there's nothing impossible with God and all things are possible for him who believes. The Bible says in Acts 10, 38, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power who went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil for God was with him. Well, the magnificent healing anointings came from power outside of this universe and God has that power to give to us. In days of great crises, I believe God is going to bring back the gift of the Spirit called working of miracles. Now, that gift was more common in the Old Testament. You'll read about uh, Elijah, Elisha. 
they didn't get very many people healed. So in the New Testament, gifts of healing are more prominent. In the Old Testament, working of miracles was more prominent. But the times are coming when we'll need God to add power from outside this creation into our dangerous and needy situations. And listen, friend, God has lots of experience with this. He knows just what to do. He has unlimited power. <laughs> I just recently, I, was, uh, I sp- spoke in uh, California at Healdsburg, Evangel Assembly of God in Healdsburg, California, but I stayed at the Hampton Inn in Roner Park, California, and I was going up to the second floor on an elevator, and the man on the elevator with me had a plate of food, and then he slumped against the wall, grimacing in pain. So I asked him what the matter. He says, oh, man, I tore up my knee. I I injured my knee a few days ago, and it just keeps getting worse. It's so painful. So he got off on my floor, and I told him, I said, I'm going to have a healing meeting. I'm a a teacher evangelist, and about 20 miles from here tomorrow afternoon, I'm going to be praying for people to be healed. And then I just knew that there was no use telling him to come to that meeting. He would never be able to get there. And so I just said, you know... uh, of all the healings I've experienced, uh, most common is the healing of bones, any kind of bones. I, I said, I could pray for you to be healed right now, but it might seem a little strange to you to have some person you don't know pray for your healing. And he said, no, it's not strange. It's all right. And, and he wanted me to pray for him. So I, I leaned over and put my right hand on his right knee, the one that was injured. Immediately, hot anointing from the Holy Spirit manifested in my hand. (laughs) I felt it go into him. He felt it go into him. And I believe he was instantly healed. And and he was, and then, you know what he said to me? He said, I'm going to keep track of you. (laughs) I gave him some of my tracks, and then I gave him my book, uh, 21 Ways to Forgive. I said, I'm going to load you down with good stuff. Now, his name was Manuel, and I would ask you to say a prayer for Manuel because he had an unexpected supernatural encounter with the love and power of God. Now, I believe God is going to be manifesting his power and love through the body of Christ in times of great need and despair. Nothing's too hard for him. God has plenty of anointing, which is power from his own being, power from heaven, power from outside this universe. And that anointing just jumps over natural boundaries to do the impossible. So I believe we'll sing and shout right along with the great multitude that the Apostle John saw in his vision, who cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God. Revelation 7, see 19 through verse 17. Now, saving miracle power belongs to God. It doesn't belong to humans or to governments or to inventors or to billionaires. It belongs to God, and he is our God. Salvation belongs to God. My last point, remember what angels can do. Now, the angel Gabriel appeared to the prophet Daniel and showed him a vision for the coming centuries, all the way to the resurrection, the end of the age. And angel Gabriel said at that time, near near the very end there, Michael, the great prince who protects your people, will arise. He'll stand up. There will be a time of distress such as not happened from the beginning of nations until then. But at that time, your people, everyone whose name is found written in the book, will be delivered. That's Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. Now, whoever is listening to me, you make sure your name gets written in God's book. You accept Jesus Christ. There, there we were in California having that healing service with the, just a, a small group of people. 
And I, I was going to pray for a man, so I said to this other man, come up here and help me pray for this guy. And he said, I, I can't. I'm not even saved. <laughs> and I said, well, come up here. I said, now, do you believe that Jesus Christ is God in human form, that he rose from the dead? He said, yeah, he believed that. And I said, well, now, uh, you just tell God that you receive Jesus Christ right now. And, and he just very simply said, Jesus, I receive you. And I led him to Christ right there and then had him pray with me. Praise God. Well, I want you to go back to that scripture. Notice Michael, the great warrior angel, is going to stand up before the world gets to its worst mess ever. All right? Michael's going to stand up before things get so terrible. And then everybody whose name's found written in the book is going to be delivered. <clears throat> so when that terrible time comes, uh, what we want to make sure is your name is written in the book. So if, if you haven't received Jesus Christ, get with it. Uh, get your name written in the book. Now, I was talking about angels. My wife, Bonnie, was driving home after helping our daughter with our new grandson, and a car coming toward her veered out of its lane, crossed the center line, and plowed headlong into the car right behind Bonnie, my wife and she was delivered from a head-on car crash. I believe the devil most likely meant that accident for her, but her angels prevented a tragedy. Now, there will be undoubtedly a great manifestation of angels protecting and helping God's people in the coming years. Richard Sigmund wrote in his book, My Time in Heaven, that he saw a whole company of huge warrior angels fully armed marching off into battles. He was he had died and was in heaven for something like eight hours before God sent him back to tell what he saw. But while he was in heaven, he saw these angels, great big, huge ones, all fully armed, marching off to battle. And he asked Jesus where they were going. And Jesus says, they're being sent into your future in answer to your prayers. <laughs> now, friend, don't be afraid of the future. Just get to sending some angels uh, into your future by your prayers. Psalms 91 isn't just poetry. It's fact. It's the promise of God. And it says, If you make the Most High your dwelling, even the Lord who is my refuge, then no harm will befall you. No disaster will come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you'll not strike your foot against a stone. That's Psalms 91, 9 through 12. And then, Verse 14 through 16, because he loves me, says the Lord, I will rescue him. I will protect him, for he acknowledges my name. He will call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. Now, a few years ago, I was in Vermont at a meeting with people from Praise Chapel in Hartford, uh, Vermont. And a lady named Kathy Janice prophesied that God was going to give my wife a special angel to help her. Well, this angel has helped my wife find things that were lost, car keys and many other things uh, that would just be, you know, we couldn't find them anywhere. And then we'd pray and, and she'd pray and then, then that angel would help her. Now, recently she brought, bought some gasoline at the 76 gas station and drove home. And when she got home, she couldn't find her billfold. It wasn't in her purse, wasn't in the car. She looked all over, and so she started praying that God would use that angel to help her. And she drove back to the gas station and went inside and explained to the lady that she'd just been there and wondered if she left her billfold on the counter. 
The lady said, no, not here. But she walked outside with her, and as Bonnie got into the car, the lady says, look, it's right there on your windshield. <laughs> and uh, Bonnie had set it uh, at the, you know, how the wipers have a little uh, indentation there where the base of the wiper fastens onto the car. And she had, she, before she got in the car, for some reason, she had set her billfold down there. Now, she had driven over two miles, and it hadn't fallen out or fallen off on the road. And... Uh, those kind of things just happen to her, you know, so many times. We really believe in angelic help. But just a few days after that uh, was when uh, she could have been killed in a fatal car wreck. It just was a fraction of a second, aimed right at her, and then went just behind her and head, head on into the car that was behind her. Now, the Bible says, are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? See, angels are sent to serve you if you're an heir of salvation. A guy named Jim Wolford had a near-death experience, and uh, while he felt himself dying, he said, oh, God, forgive me. He got up in a place between heaven and hell. His spirit was out of his body, and, and uh, he saw this big demon coming up to uh, devour him. And, uh, and he said, uh, God, help me. And then three angels appeared. And so prayers were coming up from earth from, from relatives like great big fingers streaking up into the ground. And he asked the angels what those were. And they said, that's the people praying for you to live and be sent back. <laughs> well, he uh, then before he uh, left back to earth, which he did come back to life after being brain dead for 11 hours, uh, the angels bowed to him. And he said, I, I, I'm just barely coming to God here, barely coming to Christ. Uh, uh, why are you bowing to me? You're a great angel. And the angels explained to him that, that he was made in the image of God and they were reverencing the God breath or the God light in him as one of God's children. Angels, you see, absolutely love God and they love helping us because we're children of God. That's what they love to do. Now, his book is called Heaven and Unexpected Journey. Well, I'm going to close this message now. Jesus said that before his return, there would be distress of nations with perplexity, which means complex problems unsolvable by mere men. He said uh, that hearts would fail for fear because of things, you know, coming on the earth. But he told the believers to lift up our heads when these things begin to happen because our redemption will be drawing nigh, very close. Now remember, salvation belongs to our God. Say that, salvation belongs to our God. I hope you'll go over these points. I, I would love to have you... Uh, not just have a, uh, your head in the sand. I hope you'll see these opportunities because uh, what's coming for us is, is really opportunity. We want to beware of these problems, be as prepared as we can, get our roots down. Uh, but I believe when the world is in tremendous crisis that those who walk with God are going to find amazing opportunities to be used by the Spirit of God to love people, to help people, and uh, I believe that we're going to have a great manifestation of angels helping us. So we'll look to God, we'll worship God, and we'll shout with that host uh, 
John saw salvation belongs to our God. I love you. God bless you. If you would like to partner with us at Encouragement Expert, please email us at pastorbacker at gmail.com. Or you can write P.O. Box 485, Cresswell, Oregon, 97426.